Hello and welcome to another episode of Building Success, a real estate podcast. My name is Nick and I will once again be your guide as we talk to some of the best and brightest in the worlds of real estate tech, operations, and financials from across the globe. This podcast would not be possible without listeners such as yourselves, so if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it, please consider liking, subscribing, reviewing wherever you get our podcast, whether that be from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, all of that helps us know how we're doing and bring more thoughtful and insightful content to this show. On today's episode of the podcast, I speak with Lee Carney, and we dive into a topic that is very top of mind for people, but I personally feel like just hasn't been covered enough uh, in the last few months, and that's the probable and and possibly eventual correction of the real estate market and what you as an owner, operator, investor in real estate should do to be more prepared when the time comes and so much good and momentum and growth has been happening in our industry, but what happens when that starts to shift, even if it's a minor correction, and what you can do to be better prepared. So uh, Lee was very gracious to kind of dive down into that topic today, and I really look forward to hearing your feedback on it. And without further ado, here is Lee Carney. So thank you, Lee Carney, for joining me today. I know we, we've tried to do this a couple of times, and I think we've finally locked in. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks for having me. And before we get into our topic, uh, which I'm really excited to talk about today, I don't, don't really think we've covered this on previous episodes. I want to start with you and, and talk a little bit about your background and what brought you to the uh, real estate industry. Well, I actually did my first deal by accident. That was about 16 years ago at this point. I bought a penthouse back in Ireland where I'm from. Okay. I bought it. I hated it because <laughs> I got broken into. So I put it right back on the market, moved out and sold it, and made more money on that transaction than I did in my job. So that's for me where the light bulb went off. Then the whole thought process and the question I'm asking myself is, okay, I did this by accident. What if I put my mind to this? And mm-hmm. now you fast forward you know, tens of millions of dollars of revenue later in 15 years, it's, it's been quite a journey, but that, that's where it all started. It's, it's getting that one chunk of cash. I just ha- hadn't experienced anything in life up to that point where I got a check for one transaction over 30 grand. It was pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what I like about your background is that you've, you've been in the market for 15 years and I want to, I want to talk about something that feels taboo to me with with other people I've talked to and I just came from a real estate conference last week and everybody's talking about all the opportunity in the market and everything that's going on in tech and just this boom we've experienced um, since the the downturn of 08, 09 and what I really want to talk about today is is what happens next and I feel like some people are enjoying the fruits of a, of a really good market. Um, but are tiptoeing around the concept of a changing market or, or a correction in general. And what's your take on that and, and where the real estate market currently sits? Well, I think there's a couple, you know, we chatted right before the show with some of my thoughts on that. But one of the questions I think that, that a wrong question that people are asking is, well, what do I do now at the end of the cycle? If you're only asking that question now, it's probably too late. I consider real estate just based on being in a cyclical market like Florida and even any market, markets are constantly changing. They're 
in simple terms, they're on an upward climb, they're flat, which is more of a neutral market, or in some cases, the top of the cycle, it would be a frothy market where it's flat, but there's a crash coming. And then in other cases, you've got a, a market that is clearly in decline. And in other cases, you've got a market that's just bouncing off the bottom, which is what happened last cycle in Florida. You know, everything crashed 08, 09. People thought everything was great, started buying again, then it crashed again in uh, the end of 2009 and 2010, and then didn't start to take off again until 2011. So I've seen it all. And I think that I'm constantly asking that question. Now, am I doing it daily where I'm staring at at the real estate market like I would stare at a stock? No. The good news is real estate moves in quarters and you can see trends. The problem with listening to the news instead of looking at the stats yourself is the news will reflect historical information about what's happened. So let's just say now in October, they're recording stuff that happened through June or maybe July or August. I wanna see in real time, not only what's happening with my inventory, what's happening in my local market, our days on market climbing, you know, our, our properties sitting around longer, are, are people having to discount their properties? You know, there, is the supply going up and supply is real simple. You know, if you have 5,000 properties in the market and you sold a thousand last month, you're, you've got five months supply. I mean, it's, it's very, very simple metrics like that. You know, a Tampa bounce from about one month of inventory in a very short period of time to once the foreclosure started hitting to about 18 months of inventory mm-hmm. economics 101 kicked in which means supply is up all other factors being equal and in fact there wasn't all other factors being equal demand dropped significantly so increase supply exponentially and then you have you have demand falling through the floor the prices fell through the floor so there's some basic fundamentals that if that happens in any market, it doesn't matter what people say or what they feel, you're going to have a correction. So I guess first, I would be always asking that question. And once a month, we're looking at different market statistics and just trying to get a handle. There's things like on a national level, I'm looking at the rates. If you notice that the last few years, and just to go backtrack in history, the Fed's the Fed funds rate was at 0.25% from 2008 till 2015. They started to ratchet it up and you will see that at the end of 18, when they tried to raise it one last time, it tanked the market. And you'll actually see in most markets, it just directly affected home sales and home prices. And then in May, they dropped the rates again. What do you see? Home sales take back off again. So, you know, I think in baseball terms, if I was to make a general statement, which I do hate making, you know, we're somewhere probably in the eighth or ninth inning as far as the market going. But the reality is every market is different and you need to be looking at the demand. You need to be looking at the fundamentals in your market. But what I'm seeing in most primary markets is that yields have been compressed to a point that it's hard to cover debt. Yeah. And that, that's a problem. Then you've got affordability. So for the homeowner, so for the investor, cap rates don't make sense. I mean, it's going to be very difficult at a six cap or or even lower for a regular investor to compete with institutional money, which means that cuts out that entire segment of the market. Affordability in plain English, third grade language, if an average family can't afford an average home, that's a problem because now you start to hit a, a price ceiling where you can play around with rates to a point, but at a certain point, if prices keep rising, you can only drop rates so far, now the house is unaffordable. And even then you're into 
issues of assets being underwater, you know, once the market does turn around, even though someone can afford the payment, then those that can afford the payments walk away because they see their neighbor's house getting foreclosed on for significantly less than what they paid. So my perspective is probably different because I've been through a market crash. Not only have I been through a market crash, I've been through one of the most significant economic transfers of wealth in, in this generation's history. I mean, it's probably several generations history. I mean, it was just pretty crazy, everything that happened. So I'm probably going to be more on the conservative side. But then I see other investors that even here in Tampa, Florida, I mean, we're clearly at the end of this market cycle. Mm -hmm. And based on all the statistics I look at, not a feeling, because I'm selling stuff for three, four, five times what I paid for it seven, eight years ago. And the investors are buying these houses like they're going out of fashion. So I can't quite, quite make sense of that. But there's some X factors this time around that are way different. A couple of those, I buyers, you've got institutional buyers with way too much money to spend. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a difference. You've got an institutional backstop. Not only is Wall Street trading asset-backed securities, which was the, the, the paper, they're now actually owning the assets, then securitizing the assets. So you've got the securitization of the asset that they own. Then you've got, you know, you've got leverage being pulled out against those assets, and that's being securitized too. So it's a much more tightly knit program this time around because they own the asset and the paper securitized too. And so I do see an institutional backstop in a lot of asset classes that wasn't around last time. And the supply of money is just outrageous. So how to quite make sense of that, I would not have an exact answer. But what I do know, if you look at FHA, I did a presentation on this. Typical FHA defaults are right around 9%. Don't, don't quote me on that as exact, okay. but, yeah. but it's somewhere around that, that number. And what I do know to be true is the properties that I'm selling in rental neighborhoods that are now being sold to first-time home buyers at prices that don't quite make sense to me, reason would dictate that those kind of properties are gonna follow a normal foreclosure cycle, especially when they expect one in 10 to default. So, you know, there, there's things that we can hang our hat on. You get into a nicer neighborhood where there's a lot of institutional purchases, especially on funds that have raised capital and don't have a monthly debt service. I, I'm not quite sure what's gonna happen there, I suspect there's going to be certain players that want to go the distance. There's going to be mergers. There's going to be acquisitions. There's going to be discounting of portfolios. And where all that's going to shake out, I don't know exactly. But I, what I do know is that I talk to a lot of flippers. Margins are being compressed. It's harder to make money. It's harder to buy property. People are chasing properties. Whenever you chase a property in real estate or really any asset class, you're probably going to overpay for it. For sure. You're throwing fundamentals out the window and just trying to get a deal. And anytime I've been in business, just when I, I hear statements like, well, I've got contractors sitting around, so I might as well just buy something. I heard the same thing last cycle. Most of those people are out of business because they were trying to keep their contractors busy. You know, we're in business to make money. By making money, you can you can then serve your clients well, you can serve your employees well, you can you can do lots of philanthropic things and and you can also build wealth for yourself but when you lose fact when you lose sight of that fact that's when things start going sideways i'm starting to see that now and with having a national teaching platform i deal with students all over the country and so i see this resonating 
not only in this market, but in several other markets where people are that are definitely fixing and flipping are, are feeling the burn of compressed margins. Now, what I will say, the polar opposite to that is wholesalers. Why? Because prices are high. Wholesalers just have to lock up an okay deal. You can sell it for top dollar. So wholesalers look like heroes right now. But you'd made a point earlier that they're really capitalizing on what's happening in the market. Not in a bad way, by the way. That, mm -hmm. That's the right side of the trade to be on. Day trading real estate in an uncertain market is a fantastic strategy. It eliminates risk, especially if you double close and you're selling before you buy it. I mean, it's a great strategy, but it's not because they're amazing investors. It's because the market's doing well and you just have to lock up an okay deal and through decent disposition methods, you're able to get top dollar for it. So that's a long answer, but there's a lot going on. And that's why just, I don't want to say the market's crashing, but what I have seen is that operators that are selling turnkey properties, they're one of the biggest proponents that the sky is never falling and it's clear skies yeah. ahead for the next 20 years. And if you look at behind their agenda, the agenda is they're trying to sell a turnkey investment to someone. So it would be tough to sell a property going, now I think this property is going to be worth less than what I'm selling to you for today in two years, but the yield is there and still a great investment. You know, no one would buy that property. So, you know, as a business owner, I understand why they're bullish, but I think they're bullish to the point of ignoring, you know, market fundamentals at this point. And it's, it's definitely uh, an interesting market. It's been 10 years approximately, depending on which market you're in. It's been around that 10 year mark since everything crashed. And I'm seeing the same kind of things where people are just forgetting about history. And the biggest people driving the market today, in my opinion, based on what I see, is people that have gotten in after the crash. And so they've only experienced an upward market. My circle of influence, my mentors, are people who've been through several market cycles and they're more like what I'm saying, where they're standing back, they're watching, they're gathering chips, converting to cash, lowering leverage, lowering risk, lowering market risk, and more taking the watch and wait stance. Yep, and and that's that's actually, that was a great answer and leads into what I wanted to talk about next. And it has to do with these people that have been in the market post-crash. And you brought up several good points in that in that statement. And one of them is that we, we're seeing a lot of people going into the market, trying to flip quick. I think people are scared. They're hearing things. So they're, they're going out of their way to try to make these sales very quickly and rushing to try to make a quick dollar and raising these prices, which is, which is good in, in the right market. But what happens when that correction starts? Um, the people that are standing back, what are some of the strategies for someone who's come in, who's always made very good money um, in this market over the last, let's say, eight, nine years? Um, I, don't, I don't think people actually know what to do when that correction happens and the properties that they own are already losing value and now they're sitting on a lot of assets, not knowing whether to sit and wait it out for that to kind of tail back around and gain value in those properties or try to take a loss for a short term. I mean, what, what do you think about oh, people that are coming into this for the first time? Yeah, there's a lot to that. Well, first of all, I would say that your own performance is your best indicator of what you should and shouldn't be doing. So if you look historically at your previous month and you see where you made money and lost money, what you should actually do is focus on 
where you're making money and stop doing what you're losing money on. It could be a certain kind of asset, a certain kind of area, but ultimately real estate comes down to price. So whenever we see an asset that doesn't perform, we lower our price point or we just say, you know what, we're not buying that type of asset because there's just too much risk. A classic example of that is an older big house. That's a rehabber's nightmare. Your price per square foot is pretty much the same, whether it's a thousand square foot or 4,000 square foot, but the comps don't reflect that. You're not getting four times the amount of money for the home. So yeah. that's where I see a lot of people make mistakes is rehabbing these big dinosaurs and then they wonder why they're losing money. It's because they didn't count the cost of what that rehab was actually going to cost. So that's one thing. I mean, what we're doing specifically, we've lowered our debt as a company. We've lowered our leverage. We diversified into different markets. We focus on the affordable price range, which means we want to be at or below the median price in most markets that we operate in. And we're just trying to look at, you know, fundamentals as far as our own our own statistics. Where are we making money? Where are we not making money? Just stop doing or pull back on things that are, are risky or are not making money and put our foot to the pedal on things that are making money. We're switching our ratio to more wholesale, less less rehab. So we got less market risk. And to your question specifically, if you've got short-term debt on an asset and it's losing value, you probably should sell the asset sooner than later. If there's still equity in it, because you're going to get no equity and get foreclosed on or a trustee sale, and you're not going to be owned the property too much longer if you continue down that current trajectory. I think a lot of people lose sight of the fact that it's really a production line for an investor. You know, if you're a flipper, you got a pre-acquisitions component to your, your business, then you acquire the asset, then you do something with the asset, which is either putting it straight into dispo or into rehab and then dispo, and then it's gone. What a lot of people lose sight of, they get excited about the purchase. Man, I just purchased the new flip today. Well, that's great. Are you in a buy business? No, you're in a buy, fix and sell business. And then I see a lot of people not only buy it and they do, but they do a great job in their rehab. So they get past the buy and they, they do actually process the asset. Then they're posting pictures of their fancy bathroom and kitchen and custom this and custom that. Then the house sits on the market for six months. So then my question to them is, are you in a buy and fix model? Is that your business? Just to buy and fix, buy, fix and sit. No, it's yeah. buy, <laughs> fix and sell, which means you've got to focus on all three aspects if you want to be a successful flipper. You've got to buy the asset right, you got to process it right, but then you've also got to market it right. And part of marketing it right is not only getting all the marketing channels correct, but pricing it correctly, which means you're taking an intelligent look at the comps. And guess what? If they've gone up since you bought it, you can raise your price a little bit. If they've gone down and you're not in a super hot market, and most market, there's no free lunch. So the market price is the market price. You need to you need to price that asset accordingly so it will sell. What'll happen is you discount an asset after 90, 120, 180 days, you're gonna end up selling the asset for less than if you price it correctly on day one. So you know, it may sound like I'm being a little sarcastic and facetious, and I am on purpose just to make a point that our business is ultimately processing the asset from a pre-acquisition state, which is, you know, your leads all the way through dispoing a property, whatever strategy that is, whether it's a wholesale or a fix and flip strategy. And so a lot of our listeners are actually either new to, to this market um, maybe, maybe flipping, um, a couple houses a year. Um, 
for something like this, and again, I'm, I'm referring to this downturn, is is this a point where they might want to take their toes out of the water um, to wait and see what happens, who might not be able to sit on a property because they don't have that big of a portfolio? What recommendations do you have people for people that are kind of more in the infancy stage of, of building this as a, as a new career, given, given where the market's currently going? Wholesale is great because it allows you to pivot on a dime. You're day trading real estate at that point. Yeah. So that would be my simple answer. If you don't feel like you know exactly what's going on, uh, make sure that, I mean, at the end of the day, the truest test is if you think you got a good deal and you, you've done the right work to get a buyer's list that makes sense, you put out your buyer's list. The market will tell you right away if you bought it right or not. Because if you can't sell for more than what you paid, even minimally, you know, five, 10 grand, you probably bought it wrong. You know, why do you think that you know something that the rest of the market doesn't know? None of us are that smart. So that's the best way to price test yourself is to is to try to wholesale the asset and get the feedback immediately from the market. Great, great. So talk to me about again, you've you've lived through one of these downturns as well. Um, besides kind of changing up your strategy, finding out what does and doesn't work. I mean, were there any any other lessons that you learned out of such a big market correction 10 years yes. ago that you're kind of imparting on people now moving into what probably won't be nearly as bad as what we had 10 years ago, but, um, you know, facing an upcoming downturn or correction? Well, I would say, first of all, I don't know what's going to happen next market cycle. It could be worse. You know, yeah. you, if you if you talk to 10 people, you'll get from everything from everything's fine to there'll be a mild correction to uh, everything's going to crash and burn. So, you know, I I hear the whole gamut in, in my, the seat that I sit in. I, I literally hear it all. But the two lessons I learned last cycle and then the one following that was there's actually three in total. One, there's always money in real estate. Number two, it's about being on the right side of the trade. And what I mean specifically about that, I was fixing and flipping after buying an asset from a wholesaler. They would make 10 or 20 grand. I would lose 20 grand. Mm -hmm. All I did was flip around saying, rehabbing's for the birds. I'm losing money. I'm going to be the wholesaler. So I flipped the exact same transaction. Instead of being the rehabber, I was the wholesaler. And I went from losing $2 million to making a million bucks in 12 months. Wow. Now, the next question has to be asked, okay, well, I'm wholesaling houses for a third of what I was selling them for two years ago. So what do I do now? That's when I realized, and after speaking to my mentor, that leverage is the key to wealth. So the way to become truly wealthy, especially in a, a cyclical market, is to buy right. You buy as much as you can when stuff's cheap, because now you can make a lot of mistakes with your property management, and tenants, but if you have an asset that's doubling or tripling in value due, due to the point that you bought it out in the market cycle, that makes up for a lot of mistakes. And so we, we loaded up on, what's funny, to, it's funny to say that after losing everything, then beginning back with wholesaling, I started viciously buying properties again and actually acquired a portfolio at one point over 300 assets and then dispoed that between 2017 and 2018 and actually a little bit into 2019. So we learned the lesson and I will tell you, it would not be in the position today if I had not bought a bunch of assets when prices were dirt cheap after losing everything. So 
it, I just, it made so much sense to me. I'm literally looking at a house that I sold for 150,000. I'm bidding on the courthouse steps for $30,000. Yeah. How could I not buy it? Yeah. It was nuts. And, and just like stocks too, and I've, I've said this several times on the show, but it's, it's that Warren Buffett strategy, the worst, you know, time for the stock market holistically or globally is also the best time to invest and get your hands dirty again. Of course. I mean, what you find with most people is they buy when stocks are hot, right? Which means yeah. you're paying top dollar and then they sell when it drops a little bit. I mean, it, it sounds dumb when I'm telling you this, but that's what a lot of people that are not experienced in the stock market do. They actually do the complete opposite. So they buy a top, top price, and then there's some bad news, and while the stock's tumbling, they sell out at a loss. Yep. And this is why the rich get richer. I mean, for that exact reason in the stock market, that is why the rich get richer, because they capitalize on people's fear, and they're buying you know, someone else is dumping a stock instead of just hanging on to it. And even further than that, it was the fact that they got in at a, a top price point instead of, you know, waiting until stuff was not hot. Now, I will tell you this, there's, there's a, there is some things you got to be careful. If you're buying individual stocks, they're priced for a reason. So if the, if the specific stock is down, it may have no chance of recovery and it's marked to market and it's being priced accordingly. But when you look at what happened in you know 2008, I remember one of my mentors texted me. He said market hit bottom or something like that. And I remember looking at the Dow; it was six thousand and change. Yeah. Now I look at it today; it's twenty eight thousand or twenty seven thousand and change. I mean, it's just nuts. And so I see, you know, you know, right there and then, if you take that exact example in 2008, if you had simply bought an index fund. When the market hit the bottom, you would be 450% up. Yep. Bingo. And and if that's you That's a fact. That's yeah. not guessing on a stock. That's just buying an index fund which right in the market and just sat on it. Well, and then you think about the people that lost all that money and panicked and sold if they had the ability to wait 10 years, if they were early on in their, you know, investment strategy, I mean, that just becomes a dip to something larger later on down the road, you know, versus, and don't get me wrong, there were plenty of people close and near retirement that suffered greatly. But, you know, looking at the market, whether it be stocks or be real estate, holistically and seeing how these trends and dips happen, I mean, it's, it's all about how you play that game and knowing that it's a long-term strategy. Well, I agree with that. But, but what you need to do is, when you're buying real estate, especially, you know, the banks made this mistake where they, they lent long and borrowed short, which yeah. means when rates started going up, you'd, you'd banks just dropping like flies. That's the same thing that happens with investors. You can't buy a 10 year hold property on a one year hard money balloon. And then the market goes to crap. You've got an upside down asset or portfolio. You can't get refied out. Then the lender takes the asset because they want their money back. They're not in the business of holding the property for 10 years. They want, they only intended to lend short. Yeah. So don't borrow short, but try to hold long because that's a, like the exact same mistake that the banks made. And that would be my big caution for people. A, in a, in a primary market where prices are, are trading at a top dollar, buying an asset with short-term debt with the intention of holding it long, but not actually having that exit 
And that's why there's a lot of market risk, even when you're stabilizing a portfolio. You know, I know a lot of operators that are assembling, you know, big multifamily portfolios. You still have market risk because you're betting two years from now, the financing that's available today is going to be as good as it is uh, today. And that's just, no one has a crystal ball for two years, which means we just got to be super cautious on, on what we're doing and just be very cognizant and that's where buying at wholesale is just a big, big deal. You buy at wholesale, it at least gives you a layer of insulation to be able to sell an asset. But if you buy wrong and you buy at retail, and even at wholesale, you buy at retail wholesale, which means you pay what a wholesale property goes for. You're not getting any kind of a discount. You go to dump it, there's nowhere to go, especially if the market corrects at all, because there is no built-in equity. And I always want to be able to sell my property and get some cash and not have a situation where I can't sell a property. So that's where it's, it's important to think about the long game. If you're going to play the long game in real estate, make sure that you have long-term debt or an ability to acquire that long-term debt quickly. And make sure also that it cash flows. This may sound stupid, but I can't tell you how many investors buy negative cash flowing assets. You know, they, they just don't think about the long game. They realize that when they factor in the true costs that 12 months from now that after they repair the toilets and deal with the tenants and vacancies and they they didn't quite focus on the property management concept on, on their their pro forma spreadsheet yeah and that fell apart and now they're losing thousands of dollars on one house per year there's not a lot of people that have enough gas in the tank to do that for many years or even for many months especially if they're just getting into it. And I feel like that happens a lot, especially with people listening to this show where they're first in, they get a house, they decide to rehab and rent, and they're just not ready for the whole property management aspect of things. And that really just drives it down into a negative position so early on that they just, they quit quick. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I teach, I give examples of this and I show just one house over, I believe it's a five-year period and a, a well-managed house compared to a poorly managed house, I can clearly demonstrate a tens of thousands of dollar difference in five years on one house. I mean, it's nuts because there's two things working against you. If you mismanage a property, not only do you have your vacancies, you've got your kickout costs, then you got your turn costs. So it's like a double whammy if you, if you get in the wrong tenant that doesn't pay and you have to kick them out and then get the property back in condition to re-rent it. Yeah. People just don't consider that stuff. You, you can wipe out years of return on one rental by picking one bad tenant, which means you got to have several properties subsidize one bad tenant on one property, which is, which is nuts. I mean, single family rentals are fantastic. You focus on buying the right house, rehabbing it correctly, putting the right tenant in it, and putting the right management in place, which I believe you should control, but you also need some scale to be able to do that where it makes economic sense. You can you can do really well off rentals. You know, you got an a single family home if bought right, should be able to cash flow a couple hundred dollars a month, two, three hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Versus multifamily, which you'd be lucky to make a hundred bucks a door. So again, I'm making a general statement, but just what most people experience. And so I like single family, especially you've got the that appreciation if you bought it right, which you don't see on a lot of other asset classes, mm -hmm. they purely trade on yield. And so I, I do like single family for a lot of reason, but people just need to really think about everything I just said there and not just thinking about, I want to own rentals. 
making that a goal, I want to buy 10 rentals is a terrible goal. Even though it has a number on it, which is better than just saying, I want to own rentals. Yeah, It's a terrible goal unless you figure out where you want to buy, if the price makes sense, if the house itself makes sense, if you've rehabbed it correctly, the tenant makes sense and your property management makes sense. If you don't nail all of those things within a pretty good margin, that $200 a month or whatever the cash flow is intended to be will be zero and will more than likely result in negative cash flow. Yep. Yeah. And that's great, great points. Lee, I, I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been really insightful. And I appreciate you going down this path with me. Like I said, yep. I've had a lot of guests that love to talk about the good and the great with this real estate investing. But this is a whole nother side of that coin that needs to be discussed and people need to know about. So thank you so much for that. If if people want more information about you, where where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the CEO of Real Advisors. So you can go to our website, realadvisors.com. And we've got several brands there that we teach. We teach a commercial course. We teach Real Mogul, which is my course, which is specifically teaching investors how to become a business owner instead of just a real estate investor trying to do it all yourself. And then we have Commercial Empire and Tim Bratz there has done over $300 million. That's how much property he owns in commercial. So between the three of us, we have a wealth of experience on our team. We can teach anybody anything they want to know. Again, you go to realadvisors.com and you check us out there and you can find out more information on, on what we do and what we're about. And we are all over the internet with plenty of good reviews and you know, people love what we're doing because it's real. You know, yeah. we're, we have real information taught by real operators with real results. And I'm super proud of what our team does in that space. Yeah. And we, uh, we had Tim Bratz on a couple months ago, actually. Right on. And we talked, actually that conversation steered a lot more towards Northeast Ohio, um, where both him and I are located, which was, which was oh, really? nice, but well, yeah. Wow. So we, yeah. And we talked about some of the things happening up in, up in the Cleveland area, which was, which yeah. was good as well. But what you guys are doing is great. You guys have both been, been fantastic guests on this show. So again, thank you so much for your time, Lee. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. Yep. And, uh, until next time, everybody, we will, uh, catch y'all later. 